0: Whatever peace you're looking for today, the only way you'll receive it is you give your life to Christ. Whatever peace you're looking for today, the only way that you'll receive it is if you give your life to Jesus. You can't be partially in because when you're partially in, you're totally out. You're either all in or you're all out. Which one are you?
1: Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch.
0: Father, we come before you in in a culture... That rebels against your truth, in a culture that celebrates and applauds evil, in a culture where the Bible's marginalized. Oh God, I pray that we would be the ones that stand in the gap. We would be the ones that, when the cry goes out, That who will go for us? That we would step to the forefront without any delay and say, here am I, O God. Send me. O Father, I pray that as we submit to Your Word at this moment, that the Word would be the lens by which we do and say in all that we say and do. So Father, we pray right now against the schemes of the enemy, his lies, his deceptions. God, we pray that You would work in a powerful way throughout this room in my heart and all of our hearts. That, Oh God, I pray that we would just not say it, but we would live it, that it's the truth of Jesus Christ that will set us free. And so Father, as we cling to the old rugged cross, as we rest in the power of the empty tomb, oh, Father, do something. Do something mighty in this place today. Whatever challenges we bring in the room, whatever sin issues, whatever hurts and wounds and disappointments, oh, God, I pray that we would just collapse upon You today. Just fall on You knowing that Your grace is deeper still. Oh God, we believe that because You live, Jesus, because You live, we can face today and we can face tomorrow. So Father, whatever You want to do in this place, this is Your church. Our lives are no longer our own. We have died and therefore we have been hidden with Christ. Oh, do the work, do it now, and we pray this all in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 21, looking at verses 1 through 11, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. And as you're turning there, the reality is that we are all either in one of two camps. We are either conforming to the Word of God, that it is our benchmark, that it is our life, that it is our hope and our identity and our security, or the other only reality is that we're rebelling against God's Word. We're either submitting to it and being conformed by it, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, or we're rebelling against it, not submitting to it, and unfortunately there will be a heavy price to pay in that decision. You know, so often, as you've heard me say, that I believe so many people who are professed believers, good people but perhaps not truly rescued people, and there's a difference. When you understand your rescue, when you understand what you've been saved from and what you've been saved to, it will completely change your life. It's impossible to have a true encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ where you give your life away to Him and somehow still walk towards the enemy of self. I think so many people are walking in this delusion and deception that because they did something externally on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night, that they're somehow in the club. And that's just not how this works. Uh, Christ has come to seek and to save those who are lost, those who are in darkness, those who are working for the enemy. And what He does is He pulls them out of the miry clay, and he, He takes them from the grip of darkness, and as He does that work, He makes all things new. There's a sanctification process, yes, that goes on, ongoing change to become more like Christ, But there will be an ever present growing towards Christ likeness in the true believer. I think one of the things we miss is that when Jesus came to this earth, that he came in a manner and a way that was not impressive. And that's how God often works. His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways, and I want us to look today at a particular passage that I pray will, will resonate in such a way, I pray that it will grip our hearts, I pray that it will be stirred and shaken to the core in such a way that for those here today that are truly rescued, I pray the roots go deeper. I pray they go so deep. I pray they, they sink deep into the, the fountain of living water. I pray they go deep into the nutrients of Jesus Christ and that He would be your source, your hope, your, all that you are in your life, that as His roots go deep, that He would be your bread of life. My prayer for those who have not truly given their lives to Christ here today, that I pray today will be your day. Like, I pray you can look back on this day and go, wow, that was the day. Been to church all these years. I've served in the church. Never gave my life to Jesus. Think about the freedom you will experience if you give your life to Christ today. Well, you got to look and understand what Jesus did to truly understand that rescue. And so, here in this glorious text in Matthew 21, the title of the message is simply this, the triumphal entry that led to the ultimate triumph. Amen? The triumphal entry that led to the ultimate triumph. And here it is in Matthew 21. And if you're curious about where you can find this account in other Scriptures, it's also in the other three Gospels. John 12, Mark 11, and then also Luke 19. Here we are in Matthew 21. Verse 1, here's what it says. Now, when they drew to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, "'Go into the village in front of you, and immediately, without delay, you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to Me. If anyone says to you, you shall say, "'The Lord needs them.'" and He will send them at once. Verse 4, This took place to fulfill, don't miss that, what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. How? Very key here. Humble. And mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now look at verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. In other words, they obeyed. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and they sat on them. Now, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before Him, that followed Him, were shouting, don't miss that part, "'Hosanna to the Son of David!' Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he'd entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. They were stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let me read that last verse again because this is mission critical. Verse 11, Matthew 21, verse 11 there. And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You know, when Jesus uh, arrives on the scene, things get shaken up, don't they? And there's something about Jesus here, the way that He came here to the city. You see very clearly there in verse 9 that, that He arrives And when he arrives there, as you look in your Bible, the crowds that went before him and that followed him, they were shouting. They are shouting. They're not whispering. They're not passing secret notes. They're shouting. They're shouting, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Think about this for a moment. When you look at that Scripture, you see this Hosanna. Literally, you could give a definition, save now. Save now. Boy, they're wanting to be saved, aren't they? They are crying out. They are wanting to be saved, but the key is this, what are they wanting to be saved from? See, it's so easy to call on God when we need something, isn't it? Or in a jam, uh, He can become our divine butler, our genie in the bottle, our cosmic Santa Claus, cosmic Easter bunny divine vending machine, and we call on God. Now, I'm in a jam. I need some help. Save me. Save me. Well, we're going to find out here shortly how in one week's time, just one week's time, how the motive of the heart can be revealed, of what's really pressing in on the human heart and we all walk in trouble. We all walk in fear from time to time. There's, there's stresses of life. Uh, uh, Monday morning's coming, and it's coming quick. Amen? And some of us are going, oh no, Monday morning. Here it comes. And for the true believer, we should be like, Woo-hoo. bring on Monday, right? Just bring it on. Since my God is for me, who can be against me? greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world you begin to take scripture and you drive it deep into the bedrock of your soul you pound it deep you pound it deep and you pound it deep because what happens is when we are squeezed what is in us will begin to ooze out of us when they're crying out they're shouting save us save us now hosanna it's a cry of deliverance they said son of david You'll see that throughout the Gospels and often a messianic reference. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Very interesting as we're going to see the motive of the heart. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. In other words, there is no glory that can be given any higher you can't give hundred and one percent of this glory because it's the highest that it will go they're saying you're it you're it we worship you we worship you glory to you hosanna 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 and what happens when you look at this you see very clear that here comes jesus and he's riding not on a tricked out chariot he's riding on a donkey I mean, think through this as you paint the picture. I mean, often Jesus would walk everywhere He went. Often He would do miracles. And what would He say in many cases after the miracle? He would say, tell no one. Why? Because there was a particular moment in time that all of the plan had to begin to unfold. As we say often around here, God is never early, He's never late, He's always right on time. Now His time, get honest, you're in church, don't lie, His time is very rarely our time. But He's never early, He's never late, He's always right on His schedule. And He does miracle after miracle, and He's doing all this cool stuff, and people are amazed, and the crowds are following, and they're like, who is this guy? What is He doing? Don't tell anybody. It's not time. But then here comes Palm Sunday, we call it. And now he rides into town in a very public way. He rides into town, and there he is. And and he rides again, not on this stallion like a king going to war, even though, even though, don't miss this, he's going towards the cross, There's gonna be the war upon wars at that cross. The battle is gonna be fought. King Jesus is going to prevail. The battle belongs to our God. And in the midst of his coming, he comes on a donkey, on a colt. Often, when a king would do that, it was a symbol of peace. Very interesting. Jesus is going to wage war on the cross. He's going to stand in the gap. He's going to be the propitiation, that substitutionary atonement. He's going to stand in your place and my place as we give our lives to Him. He's going to do the one thing you and I could never do, and that's atone for our sin. And in that whole process, He's going to give us peace. I often speak with people who are living in a life that's Void of peace. It's interesting when you study Scripture, Romans tells us this, that because of what Christ did, we now have peace with God. Very important. So many people are looking for the peace of God, they just have never made peace with Him first. You'll never have the peace you crave, the contentment, the joy, the serenity of the soul, unless you first vertically have peace with God. And the only way, there's only one way. People go, is there really only one way? Yes, John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. You say, that sounds very exclusive. It is. There's only one way to the Father. It's through the blood of Jesus. Because of what He did through this triumphal entry, as He journeys then to the cross, as He goes into a borrowed grave, and then on the third day, on the third day, He runs out of that grave. There is nothing in this life. Nothing. Nothing Whatever house you're dreaming of, whatever gated community, whatever car, whatever family, whatever marriage, whatever, it will never compare, never compare to having the Prince of Peace own your life. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. He gives us peace. Question for you and I today, do you have peace? I mean, really, when your world is turned upside down, when you get the health report you don't like, when you have a financial collapse, when the marriage is dissolving before your eyes, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of all that's going on, all the wicked nonsense in our culture, the daily routine of people sliding further and further towards evil, in the midst of all that's going on, Literally, your world is spiraling out of control. Does your anchor hold within that veil? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When you've truly given your life to Christ, no matter what comes into your life, you say, God, just bring it on, man. Just bring it. Man, you brought it in. You've given this to me. God, whatever you want to do with my life, I'm here for you. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. Think about the humility. Think about the humility of coming in on a donkey, a ragtag bunch of people cheering for you. You know, these weren't like the seminary presidents lining the streets. You know, these are the common people. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and we're going to see what happens in a week's period of time when they begin to shout. That's why key number one in your notes is so important. Key number one, here it is. Jesus knew that first would come the praise of men and then the condemnation of men. Key number one, Jesus knew that first would come the praise of men and then the condemnation of men. You can kind of think about it like this so the praise precedes the condemnation. You think about him riding in on a colt, on a donkey. And, you know, imagine the president of some nation, some country. It'd be like that president of that nation, that country, you know, kind of riding into town on a scooter. I mean, that's just kind of the illustration. You kind of look at it and go, you know, where's the limousine? Where's the entourage? See, Jesus' way, the way he goes about his deal, and redeeming, and saving, and purchasing, and buying back that lost soul by his blood, by his righteousness, is not how we think through it in our human thinking. Reminds me of Lou Holtz back in the day, the football coach, and he was coaching at Minnesota at the time, and he had uh, been winning. They had a great winning year, and it was pretty exciting, and Man, when you're winning, everyone loves you, right? Man, you're the sauce, you're the deal. woo go, you know, it's awesome. Well, they began to lose. Well, what happened, though, in between then is when they're winning, they decided they had this bright idea, let's make a stamp, a postage stamp of Lou Holtz. And kind of an interesting idea. Well, so when they're winning, man, things are great. But as he tells the story, when they begin to lose... Well, the people couldn't figure out which side of the stamp to put the spit on. You know what I mean? I mean, that's what happens, right? That's what happens. I mean, when you're winning, people are like, man, you're awesome, you're great, we're singing your praises. See, this is what we go into because in one week's time, in this holy week, from this triumphal entry, and you got to remember that Jesus was born to die, but the ultimate goal was that He was born to conquer the grave. If Jesus Christ is dead today, which Cliff notes, he's not, he's fully alive today. But if he was dead today, nothing else matters. He's just like any other person if that was the case. But we know from Scripture that he is alive today. Our Jesus Christ is not dead, but he's fully alive. And because of that, we operate from a position of victory. We're not looking for that this victory would work out. We're not hoping. We're not crossing fingers. We're not wishing. We know our Redeemer lives. I mean, if you really believe that, what will that do to your everyday, moment by moment, second by second living? If you know that the greatest thing that could happen is that Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, He lives, that He conquered sin and death, and the grave is forever empty. Think about what that now does to you. You now have a, a song in your heart. you got to skip in your step. No matter what comes into your life or my life, we know this, that our God is sovereign that we know that he's merciful, that he's gracious. We know it's all for his praise, all for his glory. We can walk with that confidence that, as Paul said, in all these things, not apart from all these things, he said, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through what? Through your bank account getting better? No. Through you getting a bigger stimulus check? No. What is it? Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's so easy, though, to get distracted, isn't it? As we've talked even this morning about delayed gratification. Well, we want it now, don't we? Now. Right now, Jesus. Now. And you see right here in God's Word, it was the praise that's going to precede the persecution. I don't know if you picked up on this, but Jesus entered on a borrowed donkey. He entered on a borrowed donkey. And they placed Him in a borrowed grave. Borrowed donkey. Borrowed grave. There's no need in purchasing a donkey in a grave. You have no intention on riding on forever nor staying in forever. Amen? Amen. Yeah, just give me that gray for a couple days, third day, I won't need it anymore.
1: You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch.
0: Think about this. Have you ever been in a good situation and yet you know that days are coming where you might have to face something difficult? How do you feel? Uneasy, right? Right? There's an uneasiness there. Could be Monday morning's coming. Could be a challenge at a job situation or perhaps a health situation, a financial crisis. See, we've got to remember though that that because Jesus came, because He went to the cross, because He defeated the cross and ultimately obliterated the tomb, we have a hope that will transcend whatever challenge we go through in life, that even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. For our God, He goes before us. These afflictions are momentary in their light. I know they don't seem like it. But they're momentary in their light. In comparison to the glory which shall be revealed, therefore we do not lose heart. We press on. Our greatest testimony typically is not on the mountaintop. It's typically in the valley. Everyone can praise Jesus on the mountain. But when you're in the valley and your back's against the wall, you have nowhere else to turn, but you cling to King Jesus, they'll preach a thousand sermons. Raven Hill said it like this, great eagles fly alone, great lions hunt alone. Great souls walk alone, alone with God. Isn't that good. See, there's days where you might be lonely, but when you've given your life to Jesus, you're never alone. You're never truly alone. I want us to think about this key verse, Psalm 118. Write it down in your notes. Psalm 118, 24 through 26. It's a Messianic psalm. Here's what the psalmist writes to the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us, in other words, do this. When you see let us, those two words in Scripture, it actually means do this. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, look at verse 25. Does this sound familiar? Save us, we pray. Hosanna. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he, sounds familiar, who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. See, contentment really is a choice, isn't it? Godliness with contentment is great gain, is what the Bible says. That I choose to be content. I can choose to sulk, and I'm pretty good at that. I choose to be content. If my contentment is being searched for in anything other than Christ and His blood, His righteousness, I may have a temporary contentment, but I won't have a lasting contentment. And by the way, it just preaches against what the world applauds. The world says, you know, come to Jesus, raise a hand, you know, say a prayer, do a cartwheel, sign a card, get dunked, yeah, yippee, health insurance, life insurance, fire insurance. We got it all. What do you need? And yet the Bible says this, that for all who really desire, that there's a, a longing of the heart to be conformed to the image of Christ, that all who desire to live in and for Christ, Jesus will suffer. It's part of this journey. Its just part of it. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that knowing that Jesus? He comes in on a donkey, on a colt. He's going towards the cross. Can you imagine what was going on in his mind? Hypostatic union. Fully man, fully divine, yet without any sin. Has all the emotion. He's feeling the pain. Read the Garden of Gethsemane. Hey, sit here and watch. Watch and pray. Not once, not twice, but three times. On one of the most pivotal nights in history, the band of brothers is spiritually asleep at the wheel. Jesus says, I'm sorrowful, even to the point of death. I'm sweating drops of blood, he says. How do you journey on for Christ in this world that's so broken, that's so depraved, that's so wicked? Like, how do you do this? Well, you know this truth that the light of the gospel doesn't shine the brightest where it's the brightest, it actually shines the brightest where it's the darkest. So for you, when you go to work tomorrow, you're that missionary, you're the gospel at that workplace. Begin to look through that lens. I have this honor. God's given me this privilege to be light in darkness. We'll change everything. The whole attitude changes. And that you know this, that even family, or co-workers, even church people, when you stand for truth... Not everyone gets excited about that. It reminds me of that old phrase about the conductor of the orchestra. If you're going to lead the orchestra, you must be willing to turn your back on the crowd. Even if it's just you and Jesus pressing on, do you understand this deep truth? That even if it's just you and Jesus pressing on, when it's just you and Jesus, you're still in the majority. This is what's so important as Christ's followers that we're armed, that we're ready for the battle, that when the persecution hits, not if, when, that you and I are armed, we are ready that we won't fall away, that we're good soil, not hard soil, not rocky soil, not thorn-infested soil. We're good soil where our roots are deep. And when the persecution hits, we know blessed is the one. Oh, blessed is the one who suffers for God's name, for Jesus' name. Blessed is that person as they stand tall for the gospel. So look at verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? I love this. When you read this, it says the whole city, not part of it, but the whole city was stirred. Literally in the original language, it's where we get our English word seismic. Think about this for a moment. When Jesus rode into town on a donkey, of all things, the whole place Is rocking and rolling you know what i mean i mean this place is stirred and shaken to the core this is what jesus does when he enters the scene when he comes into the room when he invades your life he turns things upside down you cannot you cannot have a genuine experience with jesus christ and hang on to the old life it won't happen I've had people share that with me. Well, actually, you can't. No, you can't. How do you know? Because the Bible tells us so. They're like, well, I'm hanging on my old life. You need to go back and check your salvation. I don't know who you gave your life to, but it wasn't Jesus. You think through these thoughts, and it leads us to key number two. Key number two says it like this When Jesus arrives, he creates a stir. Key number two, when Jesus arrives, He creates a stir. Just think about that. So here comes Jesus on a donkey. They're all shouting yelling, this is great, this is awesome, Hosanna. They go, who is this? It made me think of Revelation chapter 19. Fast forward, Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Christ on a white horse gonna be a different story how he comes riding into town this time here's what the word says then i saw heaven open and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and he makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire And on his head are many diadems. And he has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe that's dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Oh, church, don't miss verse 14. And the armies, plural, the armies of heaven. Can you picture the armies? They're arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. They're following behind King Jesus on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. Wow, what a day that's going to be. Think about that. King Jesus comes riding into town on a white horse. His robe is dipped in blood. By the blood of the Lamb, we overcome. His eyes are like fire. He's got a sword in His mouth. He's gonna rule with a rod of iron. He's gonna tread the winepress, the fury and the wrath of God. Oh, what a day when King Jesus and the armies yes. show off their glory—a different story than him on a colt. See, he comes to give you the peace that you're craving whatever peace you're looking for today the only way you'll receive it is you give your life to Christ whatever peace you're looking for today the only way that you'll receive it is if you give your life to Jesus you can't be partially in because when you're partially in you're totally out You're either all in or you're all out. Which one are you? Which soil are you? Which path are you on? Are you in the narrow way or are you on the wide path? The narrow path that leads to life and it's hard and it's difficult. It's discouraging, but it leads to Jesus. Are you on the wide path where life's a lark? Floating along. Jesus is just kind of hanging around as my fuzzy dice around my mirror. It's a wide path and many will go in by it. The Bible says many droves, just droves. Destruction, destruction, destruction. Which path are you on? Well, the crowds answered in verse 11. They answered that question about who this is. And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Nazareth. (laughs) Lowly, obscure Nazareth. Huh? Really? A king? You got to remember, he's welcomed by these multitudes. Just picture a ragtag bunch, grassroots effort, so to speak. The mayor of Jerusalem didn't come up and say, Hey, Jesus, here's a key to the city. Here's the red carpet, and here's a street we're going to name after you. No, he comes in with no press conference other than a bunch of ordinary people who are shouting for him. See, that's why key number three is so mission critical in your life and mine. I want you to write this down. Key number three. God uses people and things... That appear to be weak in the eyes of the world to show off His greatness and glory. Key number three, God uses people and things that appear. That's the key on this. That appear to be weak in the eyes of the world. Why? To show off His greatness and glory. Think about 1 Samuel 16.7. Write that down in your notes. 1 Samuel 16.7, you know the account. Samuel's looking for the king, right? The next king. So he goes to Jesse's house, and well, here's what it says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Why? Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. to remember, so here comes Samuel, Jesse's house. Bring out contestant number one. Man, this guy's amazing. Nope, that's not the one. Okay, who's the next one? No, that's not the one. Down the line through the sons, and Samuel looks at Jesse and says, Hey, you got any more? God's rejecting all of these. All the ones that looked the part, God says, Uh, uh, uh. Jesse's like, Yeah, I got one more. He's ruddy. He's feeding some sheep. God's like, that's my guy. See, God doesn't see, and what a lesson this is. What a lesson for me and you today that we can so easily get in this trap of, of looking through the lens of the flesh. God says, No, I want you to look through the lens of my word, I want you to look through an eternal lens. I want you as you are being transformed and conformed by the renewing of your mind to begin to see things as I see things, God says. I want you to begin to see clearly what really matters most in life. One of the scriptures that came to mind with that thought was 1 Corinthians chapter one, twenty-seven through twenty-nine. 1 Corinthians one 27 through 27-29, as Paul writes by the illumination of the Holy Spirit to that messed up church in Corinth, and he reminds them as he reminds us, but God chose what is foolish in the world to actually shame the wise. So marinate on that for a moment. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So, in God's economy, the world says, hey, we're wise and we're strong, and God goes, no, you're not. He goes deeper here. Verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that, there's the so that, Anytime we see the so that, here's the why. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you see this, church? That's what God does. He takes the people and the things, which we might look at and go, ugh, and he goes, yay. He takes that why, That so no one will glory in his presence. When we think that we're the sauce and we're the deal and it's our talents and our abilities, pride comes before the fall, amen? And when we get high on that horse, here's what happens. The deceitfulness of pride. Obadiah says it like this, the pride of your heart has deceived you. It's clouded your thinking and your judgment. When we begin to walk in that, God typically knocks us off our horse, doesn't He? The Bible shows us clearly that it's all about God's glory. We're either living to make much of Him, to glorify Him, to say, God, you're hit, and there's none other, and, and my life's no longer my own, and you just take my life and let it be, and you use it, and whatever you want to do with my life, and whatever trials and suffering you want to bring into my life, as long as it gives you praise and gives you glory, just think about that person's life I just described there. Think about what they're going to do for the cause of the gospel. Think about what they're going to do as people all around them will see that life. And they go, man, I don't know how you get through this. How do you get that health report and you keep praising this Jesus? How do you go through bankruptcy and you keep praising Jesus? How do you go through that collapse in your marriage where your spouse left you and you're still praising Jesus that you just cry out from the mountaintop, though he may slay me, but I'm going to trust in you, God. Oh, do you understand what's going to happen, church? When you begin to live that life, when it's not fake, it's not fake. When it's not fake, when, not fake, when it is real, it comes out from your hearts. It comes out not as simply a charade. It comes out as a testimony that you say, Oh, God's taking my test. He's creating a testimony. He's taking my trials and creating triumph. He's taking my mess and creating a message. This is what our God does. And yet what happens so often is He's got to get our attention, doesn't He? And that's the painful part of the journey. He typically gets our attention through suffering. And when we begin to suffer, He has our attention, doesn't He? Have you ever noticed, I know I have, how much more the Bible that I read and how much more my prayer life is intently devoted on Him when I'm suffering? See, Jesus suffered and he went towards that cross and he knew that people are used by God and things are used by God that appear to be weak all for His glory. So you got to remember the Jews they're shouting out Hosanna, Hosanna. They're really excited. Why? They want to be free. From who? Sin? No. The Romans, they're like, we want to be free from these people, this oppression. And what happens in a week's period of time is that the chants from the crowds go from Hosanna, Hosanna, to crucify Him, crucify Him. See, that's what happens when we don't get what we want. See, the real question in my life and your life today is, not what you say back to God when He says yes but what do you say back to God when He says no the real question today is not how do you and I respond when God goes our way but how do we respond when He doesn't go our way It's amazing as I study this account, there's that warning, warning, warning of how quickly our flesh will pivot when God simply says, I have a different plan. That's why I want you to understand deeply Hebrews. Write this down. Hebrews chapter 13, 10 through 15. Hebrews 13, 10 through 15. I want to read this as we marinate on this thought of the connection... The connection of how believers are identified with Christ. Think about that. And how they're rejected. And also how he was rejected by the Jews. So look at this in your Bible or on the screen. Hebrews 13, 10 through 15. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now it goes deeper. The writer does, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin. So pause there for a moment. The Day of Atonement, here it is, back in the Old Testament. Here's the description, are burned outside the camp. So Jesus, verse 12, also suffered outside the gate. Why? In order to sanctify the people. How? Through his own blood. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Amen, church? Through Him. Through Him. do you catch this, church? Through Him. Let us do what? Let us. I love this. This is so rich. Let us. How often? Continually? What do we do? Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. Some of the sweetest praise we can offer is when we praise Him in the storm. Man, you're going through the trial. You're just you're suffering. You don't understand it. Man, you've given all that you are for Jesus. You've sacrificed your life, perhaps your career, your family. And Jesus says, I'm going to reward you with a big bag of suffering. And again, we just shout out, though You may slay us, yet we yet we will trust in You, O God. We will not be moved. We are anchored. We serve the kingdom of God that cannot be shaken. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace in our time of need to receive the mercy. And as we rest and the nail-scarred hands, and the power of the empty tomb. Takeaway question. Here it is. When Jesus comes riding into my life, how will I welcome Him? Make it personal. When Jesus comes riding into my life, how will I welcome Him? Some people argue that I can take Jesus or leave him. No, you can't. It's impossible. You may think you can, but you can't. You will face Jesus. I will face Jesus. We will give an account. We either give our lives to him or we don't. And my plea to you today, my appeal to you, if you're here today and you've never truly, I mean truly, given your life to Christ, oh, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit right now, I pray that right now the Holy Spirit would move and stir in your heart. I pray that something would be awakened, that you'd be shaken to the core, and I pray today you would surrender all, not some. That's my prayer. Remember Pilate's? There he is, he's standing in front of Jesus, Pilate and Jesus, Pilate and Jesus. And Pilate asked Jesus, What is truth? Marinate on that for a moment. Pilate, Jesus, he asked him, What is truth? He's standing in front of the truth. And he asks another question. As the crowds have turned from Hosanna, Hosanna, he asks a question. He says, what then shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? The most pivotal question that every human being will have to answer. What then shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? Christ. What are you doing? What am I doing today with this Jesus who is called the Christ? The crowds responded and said, we want Barabbas. We want a murderer. Crucify Jesus. Crucify Him. When Jesus comes riding into your life and you're standing in front of the truth who's the way, the truth, and the life, what will you do with this Jesus who is called the Christ. You can't take Him or leave Him. That's why the action step is so important. I will not only verbally welcome Jesus into my life, but I will give Jesus all of my life and therefore bear good fruit. The American church is really good at part number one we verbally welcome Jesus in. Words are only meaningful if actions back up the words. I will not only verbally welcome Jesus into my life, but I will give Jesus all of my life and therefore bear good fruit. Question for me and you today, which soil are you? Which path are you on? See, the one that's in the good soil, truly saved, truly redeemed, truly rescued, you are producing, you're yielding, you're increasing in Christ, you're growing in Him. You look at the old you and you go, I don't even recognize that person. Matter of fact, I despise that person because you see the new you, you're a new creation. If you claim to be saved, and yet you don't despise the old person, I would go back and check your salvation. Because God makes all things new. That's what He does. He's the master of taking what is dead and making them fully alive in Christ. But my fear today is that there's many good church-going people who have convinced themselves all over our country that they're spiritually alive when the reality is they're spiritually dead? Corey Tenboom faced so many hardships in her life concentration camps in Nazi Germany, forgiving those who did horrendous things to her and her sister. She was once asked if it was difficult for her to remain humble. Her reply was simple. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, think about this, this is good. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, on the back of a donkey, And everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments onto the road and singing praises. Do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for Him? She continued, If I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in His glory, I give Him all the praise and all the honor. End quote. What will you do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? I pray today, if you have not truly given your life to Christ, I pray today will be your day of being set free. Father, we come before you. Father, as we meditate on your truth, God, we often pray for revival. Oh, how we so often pray for revival. But do we truly understand, oh God, what will happen to our lives if You send us that revival? Agonizing prayer. Cut to the heart. Brokenness over personal indwelling sin. Genuine desperation to repent. Repent. Oh, Father, I pray, don't allow anyone to leave here today who has never truly given their life to You. If there's one here that has never given their life to You, truly, oh, Father, I pray that today will be that day. Oh, God, give that person courage today. God, whatever You want us to do, this time is Yours, not ours. May You be glorified. May we decrease and You increase. And we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of the risen Savior, King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.